could just make it a lady choir. Maybe just he'll sing loud. Maybe sing louder, buddy. Are you missing something? Here. I don't know. We're always Good morning, folks. Welcome to Community Baptist Church. It's great to see each of you here, visitors and church family. I'm Greg Gibson. I am not Tim Hobbs, uh, and I am filling in for him today while he is out of town. We have a guest speaker today, which I will introduce to you a little later, but we have some announcements we'd like to highlight before we get started today. Well, it's Vacation Bible School time again, starting tomorrow at 9.30 till 12.30 through Thursday at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. We're turning it into a cave. It looks like Mammoth Cave. I actually went there yesterday, kiddos, and it is amazing. So get ready for a fun week of learning about the love of God and Jesus being the light of the world at St. Paul's Episcopal Church. St. Paul's is one of three other churches that we partner with every year to do Vacation Bible School, and it's their turn to host Uh, Vacation Bible School this year. I believe there's a few volunteer opportunities that they're still looking for. You can see Katie. Where did Katie go? Katie, right here. She is our children's coordinator, and she can fill you in on that. I know that there's some sign-up sheets over here for Vacation Bible School items that still have a few openings on it. Wednesday is Red Cross Blood Day, and Jika wants to talk to you about that. We have a pretty good uh, list of people, but they gave us uh, twice as many slots this time are bringing uh, extra helpers. Uh, so if you are available, uh, we would like for you to donate blood, remembering that each pint can save three lives. So you are 
are doing for others as you donate. And we can still use a couple of helpers along at the uh, table to check in and so forth. So, but thank you very much for those that are so faithful and donate each time. Uh, And we have you down, but I've got two or three more openings if anybody else would like to participate. Thank you. That's been two to six, is that right? Yes. Two to six on Wednesday. So also on Wednesday, you can join us for our weekly church family dinner that will begin at 545, and Bible study follows that at 630. The item of the month for Henderson Christian Community Outreach, it's a mouthful, is deodorant. So the basket over there that I just saw Mary bring in, feel free to load that up so we'll all smell good. Um, Calling all actors, come one and all. Missoula Children's Theater is back in town the week after Bible school. So this week you can go to Vacation Bible School, kiddos, and then you can come be with two professional actors from Missoula, Montana, and try out for Rapunzel, the story of Rapunzel. So it's kindergarten through 12th graders. You don't have to read any lines. You don't have to rehearse anything. Just come on to the Professional Development Center building at 9.30, 9.45 on Monday, June the 13th. You'll be cast by noon and know if you have a part. We'll rehearse all week. Then on Saturday, the performance will unfold, complete with makeup, costumes, set work, an accompanist, and more. So that is Rapunzel, the week of June the 13th through the 18th. Normally... Next Sunday would be second Sunday breakfast, but we're going to hold that for one week and combine two breakfasts, and the women are going to feed the men on Father's Day, Sunday, June the 19th. So you can see Sybil Keach, Nora Hobson, or Christine Cornelius for feeding hungry men on June the 19th. Dr. Tim will return next Sunday with the sermon title, Forgiven, but today we have a special guest speaker, Ms. Tara Edwards, we want to welcome her, thank her for being here today, and her introduction will take place a little later in today's service. We welcome you again to worship this morning. Now please stand, join in our singing of the Song of Gathering, Count Your Blessings, number 644.
Join me in our responsive reading for today, please. God of all creation, what do you want our to do justice, seeking peace and reconciliation, standing with to love kindness, showing compassion and unconditional caring for those in need, to walk humbly, following in the steps of Jesus, lifting up not the work of our hands, but the power that sustains God's purpose. Stand and sing number 557. Come on down, children. Katie is going to be with you this morning. Good morning. Is this all the children? Yeah. Are we sure? Okay. So, were you guys listening to what's going on next week? Say it. Bible school. Vacation Bible school. Are, are, are any of you guys going to go? Yeah? No. Maybe? You don't know. Okay. Well, do we know what time it starts? 9 o'clock in the morning. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, next week at the Episcopal Church. Cave Quest is a theme. So you guys know, have you guys ever been in, like, in a cave? Or know what that's like. It's pretty adventurous, right? Sometimes you wear your little your little headband and your light. And it's just one big adventure. Kind of like this life on this earth, right? We never know what God's going to put in front of us. So it's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to meet and have really awesome fellowship. It's going to be, you're going to learn together, have snacks, do all kinds of awesome things. So I just kind of wanted to re-remind you guys. If you want to go, talk to your parents, and I can get you registered today. I've got sheets over there, okay? All right. Say what? All right. So we're going to go upstairs quietly this time. Got it? Okay. No stomping.
We're going to reorder a little bit, so if you'd stand and join me in singing hymn number 217, Oh, How I Love Jesus. most wonderful and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day of worship that we can truly count our blessings. Thank you for the people here and the people on the platform and all of us that have collectively gathered to worship you today. In this moment, help us give of our lives, your tithes, and our offerings this morning. We pray. Amen.
Our speaker today is a Western Kentucky University graduate, as well as a graduate of the Baptist Theological Seminary of Richmond. She has been a chaplain at the University of Louisville Hospital, and Tara also has held various servant leadership roles within the Kentucky Baptist, uh, Kentucky Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, including that of moderator. Even more importantly, though, she's mother, an awesome mother, to two boys, an 11 and a 12-year-old. And currently, she works as a financial advisor for Edward Jones in Madisonville, Kentucky. Please welcome Tara Edwards back to the CBC pulpit this morning. can't exactly blame you for messing up the uh, KBF, CBF. The Kentucky Baptist Fellowship has now been renamed as Cooperative Baptist Fellowship Kentucky um, for various and sundry reasons. Us Kentuckians were holding out as the only state Cooperative Baptist Fellowship organization that was not CBF of the state. That may not mean anything to you all at all, but it was apparently a big deal. (laughs) We've changed our name. Now we're the CBF Kentucky. Um, Anyway, it is very good to be back here uh, with you all and excited to be able to stand with you all. Tim asked me a couple times to to come, and I kept turning him down for various and sundry reasons, but he got me here. So there's a story of a man who's walking across the road, and he's hit by a car. The impact knocks him on his head, which causes him to go into a coma for a couple days before he finally regains consciousness. When he opens up his eyes, he sees his loving wife there standing beside his bed, holding his hand. And he says, you know, Judy, you've always been right here by my side. When I was a struggling college student, I failed again and again, but you were always right there with me, encouraged me to go on and keep trying. He said, and when I got out of school and I went for all my interviews and failed to get any of those jobs, you stayed right there with me, cutting out more classifieds for me to check on. And then I started to work at this little firm and finally got the chance to handle a big contract. But I blew it because of one little mistake, and yet you're there beside me all the way. And I finally got another job after being laid off for some time. But I never seem to be promoted, and my hard work is never recognized. And so I've remained in the same position for the same day since I joined the company until now. And through it all, you're right here by my side. Of course, her eyes are filling up with tears as she's listening to him pour out his heart. And he says, now I've been in this accident, and I've woken up, and you're the first person I see. And there's something I'd really like to tell you. Judy, I think you're just plain bad luck. Men aren't very bright. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't that was uncalled for. Sorry, Greg. There are too many times when life just gets very messy. You hope if you just can get over this hurdle, then things are going to get better. But instead, you turn a corner and there's just another hurdle to get over. And it's even worse because the first mess isn't even cleaned up yet. And we all have our unique ways of dealing with crisis. Some of us shut down. Some of us are stoic. Some are histrionic, some are methodical, some take charge, some find ways to chip away just a little bit of the big mess and attempt to bring just a little bit of order back to their lives. And of course, plenty of conflict can ensue when your method is going to clash with my method. Before I read the scripture for today, which is from 1 Kings, I want to set the stage just a little bit. 
If you recall, David came to power as king of the, the Hebrew people, and then Solomon came behind him, and he was, the, he was sort of the, the crowning pinnacle in the glory days. But Solomon has now been dead for 50 years, and the glory of the reign of David and Solomon has completely dissolved. If you think that the political drama that is happening now is bad, please go back and read 1 Kings chapter 16. It makes everything that is happening now feel tame, or at least normal. The North and South Kingdoms have split. The kings are not pleasing God, each one managing to do more evil on the side of the Lord than his predecessor. And by the end of chapter 16, we are told that the current king, Ahab, has married Jezebel, daughter of the king of the Sidians, and she is devoted to the Canaanite god Baal. Ahab, king of the Hebrew people, has begun to worship Baal and has even built him a temple in Samaria. So, 1 Kings chapter 17. Now Elijah, the Tish, Tishbite of Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith that is east of Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have... And I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and dwelt by the brook Terith that is east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him the bread and meat in the morning, and the meat and bread in the evening. And he drank from the brook. And after a while the brook dried up, because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he rose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, and behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water and a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of meal and a jar and a little oil and a cruise, and now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Fear not, go and do as you've said, but first make me a little cake of it, and bring it to me, and afterward make for yourself and your son. And thus says the Lord your God of Israel, The jar of meal shall not be spent, and the cruise of oil shall not fail until the day that it is the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of meal was not spent, nor did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, and he spoke to Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her bosom and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, hast thou brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's soul come back to him again. And the Lord hearkened to the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down to the upper chamber 
into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of your Lord is in your mouth the truth. This is the word of the Lord. Elijah is first introduced to us in chapter 17 when he goes to Ahab and announces, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives and whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain for the next few years except by my word. This announcement is a direct challenge to Baal. Baal is the storm god. He is the bringer of rain. He's the one through whom there is even the possibility of life. Without water, there can be no life. And according to Canaanite mythology, when there is drought, death is victorious, and Baal is dead. When there is rain, Baal is alive, and death is defeated. So with Elijah's announcement, you can imagine that I'm sure there's some political strife there. He's kind of speaking against the kings. But more importantly, the followers of Baal would have understood that Elijah was going to be the bringer of death, which could be even more upsetting than just challenging Baal's authority. So as soon as Elijah makes his pronouncement to Ahab, he's got to hightail it out of there. God tells him to leave the promised land to go to the Kareph Ravine, and God has promised to take care of him. So Elijah hides out by the stream, and while there, God sends ravens to Elijah with food, both morning and evening. And just to read that sounds kind of odd to me ravens of all things to bring food first ravens are birds of prey they're scavengers so the idea of even feeding someone else is pretty miraculous but in addition to that in hebrew scripture ravens are unclean leviticus and deuteronomy both say that ravens are an abomination of the fowl yet this thing that the law has declared unclean is the very thing that god commands to feed his prophet. When God does an unusual thing, we should take note. Why would God use ravens? There are biblical references to ravens being worthless birds, not useful even for sacrifice. There's even some in there where they're used just to scare mischievous children. What good can come from a scavenger? If we were to continue reading a little further in 1 Kings, it's the very attitude that Elijah develops about the people of Israel to whom he was sent. He said, I've been a very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thy altar, slain thy prophets with a sword, and even I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. They are worthless. They are scavengers. But God needed to show Elijah that this worthless nation had value in and of itself. Indeed, God told Elijah that there were at least 7,000 others that were faithful. And there was an arrogance in thinking that he alone had God's ear. If a bird that it couldn't even be used as sacrifice was useful to God in feeding his prophet, then a nation that couldn't obey God, even like those ravens, might have good in it. It could be from the very thing that seems unfit from which the greatest blessings can come. So Elijah's fed twice a day in the same place, 
Scholars believe he was probably there for a year until the water dried up. Once the water is gone, not even bread and meat brought by the ravens can sustain him. So Elijah is now told to go and find a woman, a widowed woman, that God has commanded to feed you. It's interesting to note that she seems to have no foreknowledge of this command. And yet, why would he go to a widow who is likely destitute? Elijah goes to the gate of the town and he finds a woman, assumes that her is her, and he calls to her. She tells him that she's preparing her last meal for herself and her child. She is a Syrian woman. Remember Canaanite mythology? Death is becoming ever more victorious. Not only is her environment dying around her, her faith is telling her that her God of life is dead as well. Why should she believe that she has any chance of survival? People, though, tend to be hardwired to survive. Despite the belief that death is intimate, she is still preparing. I don't know about you, but I've discovered that when I'm really upset, really distraught, about the only thing that can help me feel any better is to start moving. Find something to do. There can be a blessing just in the mundane act of movement, the act of gathering sticks, that proves that life is still viable. I wonder, does she realize just the act of gathering sticks, of being kind to a stranger, that preparing a meal declares her hope for life, to keep on living? So Elijah asked for water. But before she can even fetch the water, he's already asking for more. He's asking that he be served first and that he take what she believes is the last of her food. But he promises that her provision will not run out till the rains come. And I wonder what she must be thinking. Is she considering his arrogance? Perhaps she thinks she's missing this last meager meal really won't make much of a difference anyway. So what does it matter? Perhaps she's grasping at the straws of hope. And so she does as he asks. The food does not run out. And he stays with her. And the drought continues. And then they turn a corner. And the sun dies. Life just keeps getting harder. The widow of Zarephath bereft blames Elijah. Two things are of particular curiosity to me. It is the widow's question that confounds me. When she brings the body of the son to Elijah she says what have you against me man of God did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son to this point in the story there's been no mention of her sin yet she presumes that she is the one at fault that she is being punished what could the sin be the sin of raising a child without a father the sin of being a Sidonite the sin of believing that Baal is the bringer of life? Did she think that she could be good enough to prevent bad things from happening? Did she think if she continued to give sustenance to the man of God that sorrow would be kept at bay? Oscar Wilde was an author in the late 1800s. He was best known for his critique of the Victorian culture that put an emphasis on appearances, often to the exclusion of substance. One of his quotes was recently used on a popular television show, and it kind of caught my attention. We are each our own devil, and we make this world our hell. 
our circumstances can be bleak and difficult. But we can either make things lighter or heavier by bringing our own demons or our own angels to it. The widow has just lost her son, and she accuses the man of God for punishing her for her sin by taking the life of her son, confounding the grief with anger, fear, bitterness, throwing up walls against this man who's been living with her and has been the source of her continued meal and oil. I can imagine she's been carrying her anxiety just under the surface as a constant stress, but has been keeping just control over it. But with the death of her son, all of her fears explode all around her. And when Elijah brings her son back to her, her response is, I know you're a man of God, that your words are truth. I wonder how much do we require of proof of what is true? Was it not enough that her food had not been running out in the midst of the drought? How do we decide where to place our faith? In what one place do we feel the safest? In what way can we reason out to be logical? For this mother, it took the death of her son to claim to know what truth is. And she could begin to put her world back in order again to put her own devil to rest. And that brings me to my second curiosity. Presumably to the mother's face, when she brings her dead child to him, Elijah stays calm, does not show his fear and his emotion, instead takes the, takes the boy to his chamber, and only there begins to cry out to God, asking why the boy has died. Elisha crumples, shows his frustration, and throws his questions at God. Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy even on this widow that I am staying with by causing her son to die? The description of laying out the body, stretching across him three times and crying out, let this boy's life return to him, speaks of his own grief, his own fear. And then the boy begins to breathe. And Elisha takes the boy back to, back to, back to his mother and simply says, see, the boy lives. I wonder, why would he not share his questions with the widow? Why keep that hidden? So I'll run, I'll run an experiment. I want you to take just a moment, and I want you to think of one or two things that you have learned about yourself over the past year that has surprised you or perhaps even shamed you. Has something in the last year happened that has made you so angry or so sad that the thought crossed your mind to hurt someone else or even hurt yourself? In the reflection of something difficult, did you realize that your first thought was for another person or perhaps just for your own self-protection? Perhaps not something quite all those drastic measures. But have you got one or two things in mind? Now turn to the person next to you, and I want you just to blurt it out. Tell them exactly what that awful thing was. What, nobody? No takers? How many of us are willing to do that? To be that daring? To be that vulnerable? I'm not. And I consider myself to be a fairly open person, but I'm not that open. And speaking to a friend this week, he said, I've realized there's only one person in the world with whom I felt I could say exactly what was on my mind to be accepted. I usually think of that person I'm with could hear my thoughts. They wouldn't like me very much. We don't share because we fear negative judgment, rejection, ridicule that will become the talk of the town. 
And I get that. However, the problem with not sharing is that it creates separation, confusion, and ill-informed judgments. I wonder sometimes if Elijah had laid that boy out in front of his mother and then proceeded to cry out and pray to God in front of her, would she have interpreted his questions as lack of faith? Or would they have been able to cry out to God together? If they had shared their confusion and their grief, would each of them have been strengthened in their own faith and she would have seen herself as a woman of God, not simply as the servant of the man of God? I suppose it's arrogance on my part to question how the story of Scripture unfolds. Yet I can't help but wonder sometimes if Elijah's lack of sharing with the grieving mother lent to the idea that a minister, a pastor, or even a Christian, they're somehow set on a pedestal and they have it all together. And if they show their own fear, their own frustration, that somehow it shows lack of faith. In the midst of heartbreak, people will say, if it's meant to be, it will be. As if God's will ordained some things by mysterious magic. But in this story, there are really two competing ideas trying to reconcile the will of God versus human responsibility. Elijah had a choice to follow God's command to make the prophecy of the drought to Ahab and then to leave the promised land. The widow had a choice to be kind enough to fetch water for a stranger rather than being lost in her own fear of the end being so near. She had a choice to continue to house and feed Elijah. She had a choice to bring her dead son to him and to accuse him of killing this child. She could have kicked her out out of her home, but instead she relinquished the body to this man. Elijah had a choice not to accept the child's death as a given, to voice his fear and frustration to God. He also had a choice to keep his own grief from the widow. But through all those choices, God's will does prevail. Jane Assay wrote, Some relationships stop revelations, some revelations stop relationships in their tracks, but others reveal the true person in our midst, the imperfect, the limping, and often loving soul we cared about so much. And so we continue to care, and together we rebuild, and this time slowly, on a foundation of truth. We can build a house together, a home, or a beautiful garden that is nourished by acceptance. The Lord provides in miraculous, unexpected ways, even through ways that could be traditionally deemed unclean. How do you look for God's will? What choices can you make to give strength to the community of God? Challenge and redemption can come through ravens, through the foreigner, through the destitute, even through death. It is in those moments of hardship when we are pushed out onto the limb of our faith and our hope where everything is really thin. And at that moment we can choose to desperately scramble back to the trunk of the tree Or we can let go and fall into the loving arms of God and see what new things God might have to teach us.
words of hymn 499 are so appropriate following that beautiful sermon. Let's sing it through twice. Would you stand and sing with me? Number 499. to begin the worship that is our very lives, knowing that God's love and God's community will catch you if you fall. Thank <laughs> you. 